Hello and welcome to the Brian Hornback Experience. This is episode 89, and we are going to introduce you to yet another candidate that will be on the ballot August the 4th in the Knox County general election. Uh, early voting is July the 15th through the 30th, and we have a candidate for school board uh, from out in District 6. We have Dr. Philip Michael Sherman. Uh, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. So you're running as an independent in District 6 because our legislature, I guess last year, uh, decided that school board races, when they were when they were changed back in the early 90s from partisan to nonpartisan, they changed them back to partisan. So anyway, so you're running as an independent in District 6, which is predominantly Hardin Valley Carnes, right? Yeah, we got a couple other uh, schools up in there. We've got Pleasant Ridge, Northwest Middle, um, Norwood Elementary. But yeah, predominantly the, the Carnes and Hardin Valley area. Wow, I don't, I don't guess I realized that District Six went all the way to Norwood. But I mean, that's, I mean, it, that's, yeah. that's a logical, it's a logical transition all the way down Oak Ridge Highway. But yeah. uh, I mean, I guess, I guess I assume that all the growth has kind of happened in. Hardin Valley and Corn, so that's that's more than you can more than you can say grace over. But anyway, just to introduce uh, those listening that, that uh, to this, you are have been in the Carnes community, Carnes Hardin Valley community since about two thousand eight. Yeah, You're, we uh, we got uh, to build a house out here in two thousand eight when we were still some of the new people in the Carnes area. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been a while. Exactly. Now, uh, you and your wife, uh, she is a uh, 16-year veteran with the Knox County School System, and you are in education as well. However, you are a doctor. uh, You you teach religious studies and ethics at Maryville College. Yeah, we we came here in 2006 for what we thought was going to be a one-year sort of replacement position for somebody while I was finishing up at Henry University. And it turned into two years, and then it turned into, uh, I guess, start my 17th year now. So, <laughs> Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Maryville College is a, is a great university. Um, I've it's heard... been a fantastic place to work, and to, I, I love the job that I get to do there and the students I get to work with. Right. now, you, And you have two daughters. Are, now, have, have they, they, has one graduated? Have they both graduated? Where, where are they at in the, in the school system? Yeah, so my wife was at Hardin Valley Academy from basically the time it opened in 2008 until uh, early 2021. Uh, She still works for Knox County Schools, but in another capacity now. And so my girls both went through Hardin Valley Elementary School, and we thought we were being really smart. We spaced our kids out, so we were going to have five years between them, so we wouldn't have two in daycare. Mm. And basically what we got ourselves was 12 years of a car line. Uh, <laughs> exactly. at the elementary school but so both of them went through Hardin Valley Elementary um, my oldest is now going to be a I can't hardly believe I'm saying this a rising senior at wow. Hardin Valley uh, Academy and my younger daughter is going to be starting sixth grade at Carnes Middle this wow. fall well I mean that is kind of nice though I mean you went through the you went through the four years of high school and now you get to go through you know middle school and high school again so you know oh, you'll, yeah. you'll get to see all yeah. aspects of it so <clears throat> what what now we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the things on your website and for those listening, um, I will I will uh, introduce his website, his Facebook, and his Twitter to you. 
multiple times throughout this podcast, but it's Sherman, S-H-E-R-M-A-N-F-O-R-V-T-H-E-6, that's 6th.com, Sherman4the6th.com. Uh, we'll talk about some of that, but kind of what 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 caused you to say, hey, you know, um, we're living we're living a good life out here in Hardin Valley. We're <laughs> daughters daughters going into her senior year of high school. Daughters going into sixth grade, and you know, I'm I'm teaching out here at Maryville College. And then what decided to say one? What what propelled you to decide to run for school board? And um, and was was the the kind of the eye opener to enter into the fray. Well, I mean, there's there was probably more than one thing, but yeah. I think the the thing that really sort of pushed me to do this was that um, I really felt like with this being the first election cycle where races were going back to a partisan basis, that this was sort of. A good opportunity to, to to suggest that it doesn't have to be this way. Mm. The, you know, the, the the legislation that came out last fall, which I thought was not a good idea uh, to make school board races partisan, originally started out with uh, the impossibility of a candidacy like mine, mm. right, where you were going to have to declare for one of the two parties, and and that eventually got pushed back quite a bit um, by folks on both sides of the aisle to say, well, you know, you can run as an independent. And so I think, you know, there there's a test here in this first cycle to say, what kind of school board do we want in Knox County? Do we want to invite the kind of partisanship that we see at the state level and certainly at the federal level into what I think of as really service-based political elected offices? You know, the you go to school, uh, your kids go to school with the people who uh, sit on the school board. And I thought, you know, that that has the possibility of being um, uh, over the long term, a really negative thing for our teachers and support staff, for our students, for our community. And if if we can push back against that a little bit and show that it is it is possible <laughs> to run an independent campaign, it it is possible to try to do this work as a member of the community without first and foremost trying to represent a a political party or a certain ideology or something like that, then it's worth it. And I think we owe it to ourselves as a community to to try to, to do this work in as, as much of a non-political context as we can. And I'm not naive. I know everybody has their politics. That's, that's not my point, but I, I do think it matters whether you start there or whether you know you're honest with people about what you think about this issue or that issue, but to start with a political label to me felt like a really bad idea. And, and I'll say, especially after you know, we might want to talk, we might talk about this more, but after yeah. the past year or so, where it just the, the level of rancor and um, you know distrust and anger um, in in the community, particularly related to the board of education, I just thought. We, we need to try something new. And this was the only way that I knew to sort of try to move that conversation forward. Well, you know, I, I follow, I follow the school board for uh, now a number. Well, this, this part this blog now podcast started uh, as my term on school board ended in 2004. So, you know, I've been, fo- I've been watching the school board for years and, you know, they've never really been, um, there's been a few, 
there've been a few little fights here and there, but uh, it's uh, it's almost become uh, it's almost become an, a, a must see uh, some sometimes um, with with the meetings now. But you know, it's uh, you know, it's interesting uh, just to just to give that perspective on the on the partisanship of the of the races. You know, we have five races in Knox County. You're you're one of the five. Um, and, you know, in two of the races, we have independents running. Uh, in your race, you're an independent. In another race, there's an independent. Then in two uh, other races um, over in South Knoxville and, and, um, and in, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in what I call the inside West Knoxville area, you have two Democrats running against two Republicans. Then in the first district, uh, the party that I guess I've been aligned with or that I've been associated with for years and years, we just decided we're not going to run anybody in the first district, but there are two independents running against the Democrat in the first. So, you know, it's really interesting that we do have four independent candidates uh, running for three of the five Knox County school board seats. And um, so, you know, I mean, it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens with that because Knox County has, uh, since about 2002, uh, well, no, actually it was before that, um, probably in about 98 when Diane Dozier got elected to the school board, uh, she got elected with less than a 50% margin. And so since about 1998, uh, it, it's been required that you had, if, if nobody got 50% plus one, that there was a runoff. So we've had We've had differences in Knox County versus uh, the other school boards across the state, but that's a whole issue for another day. It is interesting, though, that that um, you know I, I had talked with Virginia Babb, who has decided not to run in the fourth district, and after she had already made her decision that she wasn't going to run because she didn't want to identify with a party, and and I said, Virginia, you and Ebony Satterfield, which is another one that's chosen not to run. I said, you are the two that I thought could probably win re-election as an independent. But uh, Virginia told me, well, you were too late in telling me that because every, <laughs> everybody else told me I, I, I couldn't win one way or the other. But let's talk about um, let's talk about kind of the what what I what I've seen on your website um, is kind of your um, is is kind of your your platform. Um, you talk about back to basics. Uh, I think that's basically talking about fully funding public education. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that when I, when I was on the board some 20 years ago, the budget was about $187 million, and now it's upwards uh, way above that now. But um, so let's talk about the funding of public education. Uh, what do you see that can be improved in funding educa public education? And and how do we get school board and county commission to come to the table and and deal with that jointly? As there's, I guess, well, commission has to approve the money, and then school board gets to spend it. So you know, there's there's a little bit of give and take there. Yeah, I think you know part of what I would want to see is that those conversations are ongoing, really throughout the year, and that we're really clear about where we see deficits. Mm. I. Um, in another context, I was talking about, um, you know, this, this issue that's come to the fore where schools don't fund playgrounds and that's a, a source of inequity. Mm. 
And absolutely. But I also think that one of the challenges we have in terms of making sure things are, are fully funded is recognizing we have lots and lots of community partners. We have lots and lots of folks who are very happy to, to donate to the schools. There are lots of things that if you are in the schools, simply happen in some schools, but not in others. And that kind of community support, I absolutely want to encourage. But I don't think we can allow it to shield us from where some of the inequities are. Um, I think, you know, the 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 process itself um, is one that's in flux right now, because with the new funding uh, approach from the state, it's not clear what it's going to look like in five years. And that to me should be a, a really warning, uh, sort of a warning signal to any potential members of the board that, it, that the job now is not what do we do this year. The job is how do we think about, you know, strategically what we're going to need five years from now when two things happen. One, some of the federal dollars that we've gotten as a result of the pandemic start mm-hmm. to go away, and we've gotten used to some of the things that we've funded with those dollars. And when the, we actually start to see how this new funding structure plays out on the ground. Right. You know, are we suddenly going to find ourselves as a, as a county in a position where we're being asked to fund things that perhaps before we haven't, um, are we going to be in competition with charter schools and what's that going to look like? How, Mm. how, what's that going to cost? So, I mean, I think there's some really, um, uh, in the weeds kind of questions that I don't even know yet what the questions are right, but right. just looking at sort of what the job is and what it's going to entail i think we need folks on that board that are not just thinking about okay here's this year's budget they need to be thinking about the budget for 2027 right. even if they're not going to be on the board at that point because right. i think uh, it, it's going to be a transition i hope it's going to be a transition that we weather well we're growing there's no reason why we should be able to to um, continue to, to increase teacher pay and bring support staff um, up to what I think is a livable wage in many cases. I think we can do all those things, but it's a lot of moving parts, and it's going to take time to sit down and work through all those issues. And I, I think part of you know what has, has disturbed me over the past year or so is the constant distraction that seems to be taking place on the board when really it's time to sit down and open the books and have some hard conversations with each other. Well, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, I, I only mentioned the property taxes, but I mean, you know, we got uh, we got state dollars, which again, the legislature uh, with Governor Lee's proposal has fundamentally changed that. You know, some of the some of the discussions is we may get a little bit more, we may get about the same, uh, but you know, the rural counties, you know, nobody knows exactly how they're going to be affected by that. But then we got the federal dollars, we got the Ezra dollars. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the fundamental changes that they're implementing with the Ezra dollars, uh, you're right. I mean, that was one of the criticisms that I had years ago is that when we when we get a new grant that's going to last three years, but then five years later, we still want that same right. we, we still want that same program. And then, of course, we've got sales tax dollars, which, you know, we've got the highest sales tax in right. in, in, in the country. But. Uh, one of the interesting things that that I, I re- rarely hear a school board candidate talk about is you you talk about honoring the professionalism of teachers and support staff. It's really rare to have someone talk about support staff, uh, and and that's been reflected in the 
uh, school system's budget. Uh, you know, everybody wants to give teachers a pay raise, and teachers deserve a pay raise. Uh, but at the same time, the support staff, whether they be uh, cafeteria workers, custodians, uh, educational assistants, secretarial, um, you know, the support staff, I, I've, I've heard that, you know, they, they don't really feel uh, I think Bob Thomas has tried in the last couple of years to, to boost that a little bit, and they're going to boost it again this year. But but kind of talk about uh, how you've seen it through both through through uh, your eyes as, as a parent and a, as a spouse, uh, how the teacher and support staff work together. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll say it this way for the kids, you know, when they're in elementary school, they don't know who's a teacher and who supports staff. They, you know, they love, they love everybody that's there to love them and to help them out. And it, it seems to me that, you know, we, part of honoring people's professionalism is to pay them what their training is worth. And mm. so I, I get, I get the idea of a salary scale. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's industry standard across most, um, most uh, areas of, um, you know, work. But I think particularly when we know that we have some support staff who are doing so much of the work, particularly, and I'll, you know, I'll just talk about a school that I know. Uh, the, the Hardin Valley Elementary context, where they're at close to 1,400 um, students wow. right now, way over capacity, right? And that's after multiple, you know, uh, rezonings. They're, right. they're just at stretch. And so a lot of that work is being done. And the, the, the ability of the teachers in the classroom to deliver quality instruction is dependent upon all of these other people who are, are coming in and doing the work every day, very often at a much lower pay scale. And so, again, here's a here's a question I don't have the answer to right now. Right. I don't know what is possible in terms of addressing right. those issues. I know, you know, the same thing we, we saw, sh- tremendous shortages in cafeteria staff and uh, bus drivers. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, those those are um, other places that if those those jobs aren't getting done, the educational mission of Knox County Schools is not being fulfilled. And so, once again, I don't know right. what it would be to bring them up to uh, right. a higher level, but that would be one of the questions that I would be asking on day one to see what is possible. And once again, this is not the work of, of one year. Right. Um, this is the work of five years, of 10 years, of having you know a salary plan that says, here's what we think we would like to accomplish, even if we can't accomplish it. One of the things I think is, is uh, having talked to teachers – and support staff and, and others in education, um, you know, money matters. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be shy about advocating for finding more dollars, ever. But money's not the only thing that people value when it comes to their professional identity and the work that they do. And I think to to tell people we recognize that the work you're doing is important, that it supports uh, our our schools. We know we're not paying you what we should mm-hmm. be here's our plan to try to begin to address that is right. powerful. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, if, if people just feel appreciated, it goes a long way. Um, now uh, let's talk about the school board. Uh, you talk about building a transparent, accountable board of education. I mean, obviously, you know, once you become the school board member, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be a work in progress. Um, what, what have you seen? I guess, I guess I'll ask it this way. What have you seen that needs some help, and what have you seen that you know, 
hope hopefully there's at least one thing that you've seen that you like from the school board. But but is, is there is there one thing that that needs that needs modifying, and then what's one thing you, that you you've seen that you you're like okay they're on they're okay with that. I mean what's 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 your thought there? I think the the biggest challenge, and, and once again, let me just preface this whole thing by saying I'm on the outside. Oh, absolutely. Looking, as as right? the, as the challenger, you <laughs> you you don't have the you don't have the institutional knowledge of what's happened before. So. And, and, you know, and after and the and past year, right. I, I am so sympathetic when they were there till midnight. Right. Uniform. So I, this is not a pot shot. Right. At all. No, absolutely not. But I think you know, uh, at one point, um, a. One board member said something along the lines of, "Well, I, you know, I get all these emails, but I don't tally them, and I can't, I can't just decide. Well, X number of people are for this and for that. Mm. You know, that's what the elections are for." And I felt at the time that that was a misunderstanding of the representative nature of this job. Mm. And I, I understand they, at some point in the past year, they were getting hundreds, if not thousands, of emails every week. And there was nothing that they could have voted on or done that would have made anybody happy. Right. Probably, right? right. I, I'll give them that. But I do think it's worth having a conversation about what kinds of structures and systems that we could have that would allow citizens, <laughs> voters, uh, constituents of various sorts, right, to actually feel like they're being heard and to have some feedback in the process apart from uh, an election every four years that the vast majority of people aren't thinking about um, as I'm starting, you know, my campaign process. Yet, you know, there's an election on August 4th. No. Right. Uh, that, that, you know, simply emailing your board member um, doesn't feel sufficient. Mm. And having an election every four years doesn't seem sufficient to me. And if that is, you know, um, a move to have greater town halls, in districts with one or two board members together to talk to people about particular issues. I, once again, I don't have an answer right. to this, but I know my frustration in the midst of the past year was not primarily they're not doing what I want them to do. Mm. It was they're not listening really to – I didn't feel like many of them were listening. They had decided where they were. They were not going to be moved. And they felt no need to respond to anyone who asked them any questions about that. Well, and that, uh, and that, you know, once we got deep into the conflict, I right, guess. Right. But um, and so that that to me is the challenge. How do you how do you build a system that allows people to, you know, three minutes at a public forum is not a place for right. people to work out what's best. <laughs> that's, well, that's just not. And that that kind of leads us into. To, to kind of the end of this uh, podcast because we're about 23 minutes already. It's hard to believe, but um, <laughs> is you, you plan to do some listening and learning events across district uh, six. I, I liked what you wrote on, on your website where you said that listen and ask better questions every day. I mean, you know, if, if we're not getting better every day, then we're really not making progress, but you've already, you've got about three of these listening and learning uh, things up on your website. Uh, Dr. Jinx Watson and Mike Crabtree are two of the three. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's, uh, I, I think what you're talking about as I reach over to grab this paper that I just threw in the trash can, um, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I think, I think 
those type events, even if they have to be sunshine because you have more than one school board member doing those uh, town halls, I think is, is a move in the right direction. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to remind folks that uh, you are on the Internet at Sherman for the six. That's S-H-E-R-M-A-N-F-O-R-T-H-E-6-T-H.com. On Facebook, it's Sherman, the number four, V-T-H-E-6, 6-T-H. And on Twitter, the same, Sherman, number four, V-6-T-H. Uh, so you're on uh, you're on Facebook, Twitter, and you're on the internet. Uh, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity now here in the last last two or three minutes, just to kind of uh, speak to those folks that are in District Six that are that are going to be deciding uh, as we get close to July the fifteenth with early voting that runs through July thirtieth, and then into uh, the August fourth general election. Um, just kind of sum up your campaign, and uh, and then we'll conclude this thing. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yep. Uh, I think you know if if you would like to not be as um, glued to the TV when there's a board meeting, <laughs> that's that's part of my goal. <laughs> but uh, I, I really do see this candidacy as a a possibility to sort of reset some things that I think. Uh, have presented some challenges over the past two years. It's not just about the pandemic. I think the uh, state legislature's decision to make these potentially partisan races is not something that's going to, over the long term, be in the best interests of our students and uh, our teachers and sports staff. And so I, I want to offer a different model uh, of an independent candidate. I say frequently that, you know, I do have a background in education. It's in higher education. That's a different context. But part of my training and part of the work that I do in higher education really is about going out and listening to people and talking to people and trying to learn about things that um, I want to know more about. And so I see the office here, the, the position as a school board member, uh, it's a really particular kind. It's it's an elected office for sure, but I do see it as service to the community. And, um, you know, having had two daughters go through the system or in the process of going through the system, I have been so thankful and so grateful for the kinds of care and concern that they have been shown by everyone in Knox County Schools that it, it felt like... Um, the only way I could say thank you really adequately was to offer myself as a, as a candidate. And uh, I have a lot, as I've said, to learn. And uh, what I can promise is not that uh, you would always agree with every position I take on the board, but that you would always know why I took it. And I would always be very clear about what values were motivating my decision-making process. And so you would have a transparent and accessible board member in this district. That sounds great. And, uh, you know, again, uh, good luck to you. Uh, early votes July Thanks, 15th through the 30th. Election day is August the 4th. And uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you out and about. I'm sure you're getting ready to be in the uh, Carnes Fair uh, later in the month of uh, month of, uh, oh, yeah. in the month of June, I think. Uh, and then uh, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see you out and about as you're campaigning. And uh, we wish you well. And thanks for being on the Brian Hornback experience. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank you. it. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.